Welcome back to the Fully Expressed Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Roland, and we have such an amazing guest for you today. I am so excited to introduce you to Zachary Adama. He is a transformational guide, healer, ceremonial leader, and owner of Smiling Jaguar Retreats. Um, Zachary and I have had the uh, opportunity to get to know each other a little bit. <laughs> and I haven't had the opportunity to sit in his ceremonies yet, but I've heard amazing things from so many of my friends and other healers, trusted people that I know and love have raved about Zachary. I'm so excited to dive in with him and also eventually sit with him and for y'all to get to know him because just the energy from this man is just so beautiful, so in his divine masculine. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Welcome to the podcast, Zachary. Hello, 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 Christina. It's <laughs> to be here with you today. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, you know, I'm in a process of becoming, like everybody else. Mm, I love and, that. And um, in a process of becoming on an infinite path. <laughs> mm. You know, I uh, I grew up uh, in the Appalachian Mountains in East Kentucky, uh, coal mining country. You know, I was born to a, a you know working class family. I grew up pretty poor. You know, I was raised by a single mother, and um, and it was a you know a place where mostly fundamental Christianity was sort of the the default spirituality and religion. And and so I grew up in in that context of um, poverty, and on one hand, and also disconnection from Earth, disconnection from Pachamama. And um, you know, I grew up with that. I rejected the Christianity that I grew up with pretty early on. You know, the, all the anger and the judgment, and you know, all, all those things was not um, was not the God that that I felt to be true in my innermost soul. And, uh, and so, you know, in my early days of spiritual seeking as, you know, not even quite a teenager yet, uh, we're, we're spent in my room on ask Jeeves on dial up internet, trying to answer the great questions of life. You know, who am I? What is my purpose? What is God, et cetera, et cetera. And, I honestly didn't find many good answers. You know, this was the early days of the internet, really the early days of this consciousness becoming more available to us, more mainstreamed. And so I didn't find many good answers. And the closest thing I found was like Druidry. You know, it was this this nature-based religion and the stories of Merlin and and all those different things. And I kind of had a, a obsession with that throughout most of my teenage years and, and really dug into that. But... But still, I you know it, it was it it was like a, a little sliver of truth, a memory of truth. But I, I still wasn't quite finding the real thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I was I was really searching for wise elders. And you know, as I've sometimes said, we live in a society with a lot of old people, but few elders. Mm-hmm. And and so you know, at some point in high school, I decided, well, you know, the best thing I can do to change my circumstances, improve my life, and get out of poverty is focus on school. So I did that. Did well in school. Ended up getting a scholarship to go to college. First in my, you know, family to go to college. Um, I majored in philosophy because I was still fascinated by the great questions of life. And having gone to a liberal arts college. Um, 
and began pre-med, I got really indoctrinated into the philosophy of reductionist materialism. This idea that we live in a universe of dead matter ruled by mechanical forces and laws and, and that consciousness, um, if it exists, is this aberration, right? It's this aberration. So I, you know, I was thoroughly indoctrinated into that philosophy, which really began one of the darkest periods in my life, is just as far as the feelings of alienation, depression, anxiety, disconnection. And, um, and as, you know, as one does when one is having a feeling that way and, and in the dark night of the soul, uh, I went to law school <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I was like, well, you know, if there's no point to, to being alive except to play the game of money, power and prestige, I might as well do that. And, uh, mm. so I, I went to law school and became an attorney and literally six months after passing the bar and beginning my legal career, I stumbled upon a mainstream article on quantum physics that was talking about the universe being a great thought rather than a great clock. This idea that that consciousness is integral to matter, not emergent. That consciousness is that which is irreducible. You know, this, this panpsychism notion. Um, and... That gave me intellectual permission just reading that article to look at my secretary at the time and think and believe you too are me. And with that thought, with that affirmation, with that belief, my heart literally just flew wide open. And I just, just this feeling of just boundless love was just flowing through my being and then lightning bolts of bliss and ego death and this profound mystical experience, you know, sometimes maybe you call it a kundalini awakening. Hmm. So that happened six months after passing the bar. <laughs> and after about two weeks, the ego started coming in, uh, back in, but I had all this spaciousness around it. But it came back in to ask the question, what just happened? Hmm. And that began my adulthood seeking. You know, I was a seeker as a child, basically um, took, a, took a few years off to become somebody, and, and then when I became somebody, came back. And one of the first things I found was autobiography of a yogi and my uh, Kriya Yoga lineage. Uh, it's a type of meditation and, uh, and yoga tradition and practice, working with kundalini energy. And uh, I began that practice. And, you know, after my, that initial spiritual awakening, all I wanted to do was run away to a monastery, to an ashram, and pray and meditate for the rest of my life. I didn't want anything to do with this messy, messy world. And that felt insane. Mm -hmm. um, but I had student loans. I was engaged at the time. I felt I was enmeshed in the world. You know, by my, the, the, I was enmeshed in the life built by my prior state of consciousness. And, you know, I tapped in with intuition and, you know, what do I do here? Well, the intuition shot back, you know, do your practice, live a good life, allow your life to be your teacher. Identify those desires, those karmic patterns that caused you to choose the life circumstances you now find to be not preferable. And that's what I did. 
for the next 10 years, I practiced law. I became managing partner of a small law firm. And slowly but surely, life was my guru. And it, it taught me to uh, let go of those attachments that caused me to choose a path of money, power, and prestige. Mm. And um, so I worked through that, and that my life was my guru. And um, about three or four years into my, my Kriya Yoga path, um, the ability to do healing work, energetic healing work, spiritual healing came online, the ability to transmit energy, transmute energy for people, that sort of thing. And so while I was practicing law, I started doing that, you know, sort of on the, on the side is this, this, this ministry, you know. And uh, it was my desire to deepen that capacity that led me to plant medicines and plant medicine work. And in 2019, I first sat with mushrooms, the golden teacher, had an incredible mystical experience. And, you know, so many so many beautiful communions and messages and just reconnecting with spirit at a higher new level. And at the end of that experience, this golden tantric goddess came in and she told me to go to Peru and work with ayahuasca. Mm. And so the next week I applied to go to Peru to work with ayahuasca at spirit quest, um, down in Peru and by January 2020, I was down there working with ayahuasca and wachuma. And that was a true homecoming in so many ways. You know, it, I, I, I went down there seeking clarity on spiritual vocation. You know, that was, I knew I was called to some kind of spiritual vocation. I didn't know exactly what, but I went down there with the prayer for clarity. So down there, I had these beautiful, you know, tantric initiations with the medicine. The medicine appeared to me as Kali. And uh, the medicine told me I had been a devotee of the Great Mother for many lifetimes. Mm. And that should I choose it, I could would enter into uh, a relationship of service in this lifetime. And um, it was an invitation to the path, right? And with much work to do to actually walk it. <laughs> and um, so that happened, and by the time I was about ready to leave, uh, they were just starting to talk about hearing rumors of COVID, this, this thing coming out of China. And uh, I went back to my life in the United States. I went back to my law practice for a few months. You know, I did that. And then in March 2020, everything got shut down in a beautiful way for me, at least. You know, I had a, a year or two, a calendar full of a year or two of things that I didn't want to do that got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I went from working in a law firm 60 hours a week to working from home remotely like 20 hours a week. Mm. And I got all this spaciousness. And in, in that spaciousness, I, I chose to, to, um, to the best I could, start moving forward and offering myself in spiritual service. And that began with a YouTube channel. And, and that was my practice of practicing self-expression. That was my practice of, of starting to step into this new role that I was hoping to birth. Um, I met a mutual friend while I was down at Spirit Quest, Parker Sherry. 
and I had done some healing work with him during the Wachuma ceremony, and I guess it made an impression. So we, we <laughs> stayed in contact, we stayed in touch. We he ended up coming back to the United States due to COVID, and um, we continued to do medicine together and do medicine work together, and became good friends. And then in um, January of twenty twenty two. He invited me to join him down in Austin, Texas, to start a medicine church. And I really didn't have to even hesitate. I knew that that was, I knew it might not be the the destination, but I knew it was part of the path, right? Mm -hmm. And so I I, uh, gave my law, my interest in the law firm to my law partner and went down there for the first four months of the year and served medicine with him. Things shifted there. Then in May, um, May of last year, we started Smiling Jaguar Retreats, um, where we take beautiful souls and soul family to work with many of our teachers um, in a ceremonial context as well as serve medicine. And so that is my path up to this point. And, and that's how I got to where I am in this moment. Mm. So beautiful. So yeah. beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, There's so much juice in what you said and what you shared about your life, Um, especially because I think that there are so many people out there right now who are currently living what you were previously living in this you know, pursuit of money and power, as you put it, and that path that you thought was supposed to be the right one for you. And, and maybe you're not so happy in it and things like that. And, um, you know, it sounds from just what you said that it was a really beautiful transition that allowed you to follow your heart and really allowed you to follow the path that ultimately like does feel so right to you now and you've made this huge shift in your life right and i'm curious you know for those listening who might be in that position where they aren't in on a path right now that feels good they aren't on a path that feels like it's their soul calling like what were some of the struggles i mean you touched on the ego coming up and asking questions and things like that but like what were some of the things that you kind of had to work through and face as you were like transitioning on this path yeah and it was it didn't all happen all at once. This is really a decade of work that culminated mm-hmm. into a year of a day of more change than happened in the past ten years. Yeah. Okay, so it didn't, it, and I can't say it was one one thing. Yeah, because totally. it was everything in that ten year <laughs> period, and um, and there was you know there was gifts and challenges of that ten years of practicing law. I you know I really cultivated and I learned how to run a business, right, which is really handy for what I do now. Um, I learned a great deal of discipline and fortitude. I learned how to work hard, really important for what I do now. Um, some of the things that had to be let go in my um, in my transition from a what many people would perceive as a safe and secure life to one that is full of uncertainty was the realization that that perceived security was an illusion. Mm, You know, (laughs) you know, just because one day looks much like the last, you know, you go to the same office, you do a lot of the similar things. does not mean it's secure. 
<laughs> yeah. And I had so many challenges throughout, especially when we, when I bought the law firm, became managing partner, you know, and I, I knew when I bought the law firm that, that this was not my destination. It was part of the path. And I, I, I didn't know where it was going to lead, but I knew it was what was next. But there were things that happened every single year that put the business, that the business was in jeopardy in some way or another, lawsuits. We split up apart from our larger firm that we were associated with. You know, we got sued one time. And just all these weird things happened that were reminding me that you can do something you don't love, something that you hate, because you perceive it's to be secure, but it's not really secure. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's an illusion. It mm-hmm. can be taken in a moment, yeah. and you're not guaranteed another breath. Mm. And so that realization, letting go of my attachments to the way people perceive me as being, you know, this this serious, successful attorney, you know, someone that can be taken seriously, somebody who's reliable, who's worthy of of, of respect and validation, Letting go of all those things, letting go of all those things, worrying about all those things, valuing all those things, and deciding ultimately that I would rather live a spirit-filled life, a heart-led life that doesn't have those those conventional indications of success and security. Mm-hmm. Because if I can build a life that I love, that I never have to quote retire from or want to retire from, that I don't ever have to take a vacation from, <laughs> that I wake up every day thrilled that I'm doing what I'm doing, a life that if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would still be doing exactly what I'm doing, then I've won in every way. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, that's the, the sort of life that has deep meaning. That's the sort of life that is truly abundant and enriching. That's the sort of life that I want to live. And that's the sort of life I'm building. Mm. Yeah. So good. So good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's so powerful what you said about that perceived illusion is just, or sorry, that perceived security is just an illusion um, and that you're not guaranteed another breath. I think that that's so poignant because so many people do believe that, as you said, if, if every day looks like the last, if it's predictable, if it feels like you kind of have an idea of what's going to happen, then that feels secure. But there is a lot of instability, not just career wise, but like personally and mentally, emotionally, spiritually for so many Mm -hmm. people who are living in those types of careers and situations. And, you know, not to make those wrong. There are plenty of people who have conventional jobs and, and paths that are fully fulfilled and happy. Right. Um, and there's lots of people who aren't. (laughs) So it's really, really cool, um, that you were able to, find a path that lights you up the way you do. And I'm really present to how much trust that also requires. Um, because though, you know, you are building and have built a business and, and a path that is 
very much aligned with you and, and seems to be pretty steady from the outside. Mm-hmm. As you did say, like there, there is this um, perceived instability as well as um, this transition that you've had to make. And so I'm curious about the trust element. Like what, what was it that you were able to hold on to, to cultivate in yourself? Um, what supported you in building that trust as you made this transition? It goes back to that initial desire I had after my spiritual awakening back in 2011. I wanted to go off to the monastery. I wanted to be a monk. I wanted to be a renunciant. I wanted to just be able to pray and meditate and rely on God for the rest of my life. Right? <laughs> And it came back to the alms bowl that many renunciants have as they 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 do their sadhana. They rely on the generosity of others for their livelihood, and they dedicate their life to service. And if somebody doesn't put something in the bowl, they don't eat that day. Mm-hmm. And they're okay with that. They, they trust that that's what's appropriate, that that's mm-hmm. dharmic. Mm-hmm. And so... I had that initial desire in 2011. Intuition said, your path is the householder, yogi. Let that be your teacher. Let that be your ashram. Let that be your path. And as I go into this work, the spirit-led work, this heart-led work, I'm willing to be the renunciant with a bowl. Mm. (laughs) I'm willing to be dependent upon the generosity of others to support my spiritual work and service. And if that means I don't eat one day, that's fine. If that means I, you know, live out of my car, that's fine. The the question is, is it worth it to you? Mm, yeah. You know, how clear are you on what you are doing is the thing you came in a human body to do. When you have that clarity, when you have that that certainty, everything else is easy. Everything else is easy. And so that that's that's the path. It's easy, you know. Uh, Sri Yukteswar, who was in my lineage of, uh, of in Kriya Yoga, he said, you know, there's many people who become renunciants. They, they're renunciants because the world renounced them. Mm. They don't, they don't, you know, they, they couldn't get a job. They couldn't get a wife. You know, they, they couldn't do these things. They couldn't succeed in the world. So the world renounced them. So they say they're a renunciant. I, renun- I renounce the world first. Mm. It's much harder to be a renunciant. It's, re- it's more of a statement of your dedication when you can have those things, when you've had those things, when you're actually actively working with these things and cultivating non-attachment to them. And so to be active in the world, to be active in service, to be building a business, a ministry, to be doing this spiritual work without attachment to it, you know, while being completely 100% invested in it, but not attached. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's where I'm finding that trust. 
that's where I'm finding that faith. And that's where I'm finding the will to go forward and move forward. And, um, you know, it's not always easy. <laughs> you know, there has certainly been challenges along the way. that, And there have been invitations for the universe to me asking me, is this still what you want to do? And how clear are you on that? You can get off this roller coaster if you want. You can try to find some more known territory that feels more comfortable. Or you can hold yourself in the fire of transformation and continue to let everything that does not serve you burn away. And so far, I'm remaining in that fire of transformation. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. And that's so clear. That's so clear. <laughs> yeah. That, I think, is the key to most things, what you said about being super dedicated yet unattached. Yeah. And I think that that's really hard for most people to wrap their heads around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know that when I first started on this path, it was definitely hard for me to wrap my head around. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes still is, right? Especially yeah. with um, my own business and with my own clients and even with the people in my life who I love, who I like really want this thing for them. Right. I really want the healing for them. I really want the experience for them yeah. and to have to love so unconditionally and completely step back, <laughs> take your hands off the wheel, be unattached can yeah. be really difficult. <laughs> it can be really, really difficult. And so I'm curious, you know, um, for people who might be struggling with that, concept and and executing it as well what are some things that really help you continue to cultivate that that presence of love and and commitment but unattachment yeah. i'm not the doer mm -hmm. you know i seek to be a vessel through which things are done mm. and I'm not responsible for anyone else's evolution and healing. I'm only responsible for offering opportunities for it. And that's really about it. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, and um, I'm just not responsible for other people's healing and evolution as a healer. Yeah. Because you know what? I don't actually heal anybody. I create opportunities for people to heal themselves and come back into a more whole state. Mm -hmm. That's it. I'm just the doorman. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I think that that is truly a mark of some of the most powerful healers I know have that mm -hmm. same attitude, right? Of like, it is not about me at all. It is about you. <laughs> yeah. And coming from the background that you do, yeah. I'm also present to like the, the amount of humility that you bring to this work. Mm. And so I'm curious about that as well. Have you always been really humble have you always been this unattached to your work or is it just through this spiritual journey you've been on because i think that that's another thing that 
you know, not everyone out there who is currently on a path that isn't aligned is going to completely go this direction to be a healer like us or anything like that. Right. But maybe they want to find something else, but are still really attached to that status or the money or, or what it looks like or feels like, sounds like whatever. How did you cultivate this sense of humility along the way? I haven't always been humble. And, you know, as a lawyer, nobody like wants to hire a humble lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> so I got good at playing the game, right? Of being a fierce advocate, very confident and all that stuff while being non-attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a layer of... Um, I've sometimes suffered with excessive clarity to, without not without sufficient compassion. Mm. If that makes sense, I've 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 often seen things very clearly. I've seen people very clearly, but I've not always had sufficient compassion for what I saw, and that has created at times a bit of arrogance. Mm. And. Um, what has really been the best thing for me as far as cultivating more humility, deeper humility, has been good teachers. You know, I, I don't know that you can... There's a certain level of, of consciousness. There's a certain... Pl- that you sort of need the teacher who embodies that next level of consciousness you hope to obtain. Yeah. You know, I did a lot of really good work basically on my own with, with dead gurus. <laughs> right? I, I did a lot of good work. But I, I reached a point where I recognized I'd plateaued. Yeah. And when I had that recognition, I recognized that I really needed a teacher or teachers to help continue me on my path. And, and it was actually the first, right before I went and worked with one of my mentors for the first time with uh, grandmother ayahuasca. And I literally was these, I was having these thoughts in the car days before going to ceremony. And I recognize, and I was thinking about how, in the, I had been going to all these different spiritual communities over the years, but I always arrived soon after the main teacher died. Right? Mm. I would always arrive on the scene right after the main teacher died. And you know what was rest, what left with their students, and while they had some good information, I never felt like this is, this is a teacher for me. Right? And... And I thought, well, that's probably because I've not been humble enough to come into their presence. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And and so I I, I did the, you know, I said, well, I said, you know, part of the lineage is to surrender to the guru, you know, which can be an abused idea and has been often, but but there's a real kernel of truth to it. So I said, you know, if I do find a true teacher, I will surrender to the guru. And uh, that was right before I met my one of my mentors, James. And he would uh, be horrified by that idea of being a guru. But 
uh, he's been an amazing teacher for me as far as humility goes, mm. of being a humble servant. And he has beaten so much humility into me in ceremony that it's, you know, unreal. And um, just tearing through all those, those, that, those layers of arrogance, those layers of, uh, of judgment and comparing and just all those things. And, um, and, and after I got sufficient humility, all sorts of other teachers started coming into my field, beautiful masters mm. that I am just so, so, so grateful to know. And, you know, the, the humility comes from that is, is, is that recognizing that fully recognizing a person at a level of consciousness that's beyond you and allowing yourself to be taught. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So good. Yeah, I think that's such a cool way to express it that you know, you actually had to cultivate a certain level of humility to even be able to receive and be in the it's presence of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um and I'm so curious about as you've continued to work in this medicine and work on this path, what are some of the things that you find to be really prevalent in the people that come to you, that are working with you, sitting with you in yes. ceremony? Um, how does that how does like the type of person that come to you, like impact the work that you do and vice versa? <laughs> yeah. And you know, all sorts of different people come my way. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that come my way have had a certain amount of success in their life in some way and have reached a point where they're seeking more. Right, they've they've reached the top of the first mountain of self actualization, of you know the dreams of their younger self for some some kind of money, prestige, power, whatever has been achieved, some perceived stability has been achieved. They've reached the peak of the first mountain and they're approaching the bottom of the next. And and those are the people that come my way because that was me. <laughs> you know, I climbed the top totally. of one mountain and then another and then another. <laughs> and so those are the sorts of people I often see, but I see all sorts. And, you know, what I'm finding is, is that um, a lot of people waking up right now in the last year or two. And, you know, there's a lot of things we could say about that. There's astrological things, there's solar cycles, there's all these things that sort of orchestrate the ascension of this planet over a long period of time. And there's cycles of awakening where more people awaken at once than others because it's a conducive environment. So there's more people awakening right now. And what I'm finding is they're awakening quick and hard and doing all this beautiful work at a really accelerated rate. And they go from being a quote muggle a year ago to like a full <laughs> on, like in the medicine person a year later. Yeah. And, and really into this path, really into transformation and personal development, meditation and just all this. So I see a lot of those people. A lot of the people that are, are sort of newly awakening, I see a lot of those. 
but I see also beautiful souls that have been on the path for a long time. So, yeah, yeah, cool. What are some of the things that, as they're trying to reach this next mountain, basically, what are some of the things that a lot of people are bumping into? You know, after that first ascension, what's the what do you see as a lot of the next step? It goes back to being teachable. You know, once we reach the top of one mountain, we get a certain amount of arrogance Mm. (laughs) from having reached that vantage. Yeah. And the prerequisite for climbing the next one is humility. Mm. (laughs) And so we have to let go of what we thought we knew and come in with a beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for this next phase yeah yeah totally yeah i think you know going back to what you were saying about your own teachers mm-hmm. i think it was a perfect example of what you said that for one thing i think the best teachers healers coaches workers all have their own team behind yeah. them right yeah. <laughs> that are teaching them um and also that your guru would hate being called a guru. Like that's also yeah. a great mark of someone yeah. who's probably a great guru, right? <laughs> that, that sense of humility and, and that ability to put your own ego aside. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Um, in your, <clears throat> excuse me, in your journey with plant medicine, I'm, I know that there's a lot of people out there who are, super curious about plant medicine along with the wake awakening that we're seeing. There's a lot of plant medicine involved and things like that. And so I'd love for you to speak on that since you are super um, skilled and, and um, super in that world. And and I know you've led some really beautiful ceremonies for a lot of people I know. And so I'd love to hear some more of your thoughts on that and how that can be supportive for people. Yeah. And, you know, these, these medicines um, are the Earth's way of teaching us how to be human, right? Mm. These medicines are the Earth's way of teaching us how to be human. And, you know, that's what they are at the most fundamental level. And they're also orchestrating and helping us with this ascension process where we're, we're being required to undergo very fast evolution in mm-hmm. order to attune with the energies that are coming in and process them and handle them in a constructive way and not an entropic destructive way. Right. And we see at the collective level, uh, entropy, right. The, the collective consciousness is not very skillfully able to process all the energy that's coming in. And so it expresses as bellicosity. Mm. And we see that happening in in people's individual lives. We have depression, we have anxiety, we have all this mental illness um, because, you know, the intensity of the light coming in is just causing these massive purges Mm. of everything that's unprocessed, all these unprocessed mental, emotional impressions, karmic impressions, et cetera, et cetera. So these medicines help with the purification process. They help purify the gross and subtle body of these old programming and conditioning to get us back in touch with our soul and so that we can really more and more become that expression of spirit in form. 
and there it's also just frankly it's 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 the software for new earth mm. you know if you want to talk <laughs> about it in a really new agey way it's the software update for new <laughs> earth yeah and you know all these different medicines they do different things and they they have different archetypal consciousnesses associated with them that teach in a different way you know, you have ayahuasca, which is the great earth mother. You have grandfather Wachuma, which is grandfather sky. Uh, you have grandfather peyote, which is grandfather earth. You have grandfather tobacco. You have all these beautiful medicines that do work in a different way and teach in a different way, but it's all synergistic, right? It's all synergistic. And, you know, and especially as I do things like this, Wachuma pilgrimage we do in Peru, where we go to seven sacred sites over 14, 15 days, seven ceremonies, is that, you know, that is the, the past and it is the future as well, right? That, that they were tuned into the level of consciousness, of, of energy and consciousness of, of this emerging reality we're moving into, that they were already there. And, and and that we're collectively going there. So, so yeah, it, it's the, these medicines are. I, I just can't say enough about them, and, and everything I say is inadequate. Um, <laughs> but I, I think caution is needed, though. You know, it's more is not always better, and you need to be cautious about who you work with. You need to use discernment about who you work with. Um, my, my, what I tell people is, you know, only do medicine with somebody who comes by a personal recommendation of somebody, you know, and trust, you know, and, um, that's the only way I do medicine. And, um, so you need to be a bit cautious, take your time with it. Um, do it with respect and reverence. You know, don't do it to get high. And don't do it because you're trying to escape uh, something. You know, don't do it because it, it, these medicines, a good medicine makes you confront your shit. It doesn't help you run away from it. And, um, yeah, and give yourself time if you begin working with these medicines, time to integrate the experiences. You know, that's all very important stuff. Um but, um, yeah, th these medicines are teaching us how to be human. They're teaching us how to be ascended humans. So, and it's this process of ascension going up, up into the infinite, up into union with the divine, infinite bliss. And then you descend back down into a human body and feel that human body with as much bliss as it'll hold and continue that process over and over again, ascension and descension, the continuous and ongoing merger of spirit and form. Yeah. Oh, man. I, you know, I personally have had experience with plant medicine, so I echo yeah. <laughs> everything that you said there. And I would love to touch a little bit more on um, integration, as you mentioned, because yeah. I think that a lot of people don't realize how important that is and, mm -hmm. and what a big part of the journey that is. Like a right. lot of people you know, as you were kind of alluding to go to the medicine thinking it might just be a thing to fix everything or right. to make you feel better instantly or something right. like that. But it's generally yeah. confronting. <laughs> you confront your shit. Right? Yes, totally. Totally. And then you got to change it. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more about your, your thoughts on integration and how, um, people can support their own integration. You know, I always encourage people to get someone to help them support that, yeah. but um, what are some other ways that people can support themselves with integration and, and what are your thoughts yeah. on it? It's always good to have a, a knowledgeable friend on the path to walk with mm-hmm. you and help you. And whether it be a coach or therapist or whatever. So that's useful and very, very helpful. And other than that, constructive daily spiritual practices that help you integrate the experiences like meditation. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think meditation is one of the most essential things one can do, Um, not only to integrate these medicine experiences, but just to integrate the catalyst of everyday life. You know, you can't, it allows you to get into a place of neutrality so that the deep mind can process these things and they can sink down into the level of being. So a daily meditation practice is essential, in my opinion. Things like yoga, qigong are very useful practices and energy modalities. Um, but beyond all of that, community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Community. <laughs> Having people that can hold you in this new and emerging state of consciousness. Yeah. Right? Because what happens often is we'll, you know, we'll go and have an experience with the medicine and experience an ecstatic state of consciousness that is very removed from our ordinary state of consciousness. And we raise physically and spiritually to a vibration that's much higher than our ordinary state. And that gives us a new perspective. And from that new perspective, we get a lot of clarity. And then we go back to the life that was created by our prior state of consciousness. And it often sucks. Because that life built from the prior state of consciousness wants to pull you back into resonance with that state of consciousness that created it. And so it can be very difficult to stabilize at a higher level and not just do this ping pong thing back and forth. And... So yeah, that can be challenging, and and there's really almost no avoiding it. You know, it you get the experience of the spiritual high, you get the experience of that expansion and that clarity, then you come back into your ordinary life, and it's the rubber band effect. It snaps back to some degree. You're more expanded than you were before, but you're not nearly what you were when you were expanded from the medicine experience. And then you have to say, okay, how do I, one step at a time, take constructive actions to make my life better so that the overall vibration of my life, my life circumstances, are closer to that expanded state that I experienced in the medicine space. You know, the point is to get to a point where your life is so beautiful that there's not much difference between that and the medicine. Right? You just yeah. go do the medicine for a tune-up, and then you come back to your beautiful life, which is just is abundant and full of love and full of meaningful relationships with other people. And, you know, just they, you know, they, they call this the beauty way. How do you live a beauty, mm-hmm. beautiful life? And this medicine's teaching you how to live a beautiful life. At first, you got to confront the ugliness. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's that's some thoughts on integration. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. I love the way you said it multiple times throughout our conversation, but I really love how you referred to it as the life that your previous state of consciousness created. Um, Really, really cool way to look at it. And yeah, I know for me, I think it's important to note that, well, it sounds like for both of us, because as you said, it's been like a 10 year evolution, right? Um, I'm still integrating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 13. And I know I'm still integrating things that I learned in my very first ever plant ceremony. (laughs) So, and it's taken to your point, like community and, and creating your life so that it matches this, um, love and love vibration that you want to be in like you are under the medicine um like i just moved across the country to create a life where i have that right (laughs) so it it might be big things it might be small things it's probably all of the above (laughs) but integration is a long process and a beautiful Mm -hmm. process yeah um and i love what you said yeah totally community is a huge huge part of it so Yeah, I feel that. I feel that deeply. (laughs) Um, How are you going into this? Well, we have the energetic new year coming up (laughs) with the spring equinox coming up. And I know this is a, we're three months into the new year now, I guess. Mm. Um, But how are you going into this year after like the big last year you had of, Mm. you know, creating smiling jaguars, doing these um, beautiful, beautiful pilgrimages. Um, And then unfortunately, of course, um, our friend Parker um, transitioning. How is this next year looking for you as you continue to walk this path and, and work with people in this way? Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I'm I'll be going out to Colorado Springs uh, on the equinox actually for oh, ceremony, cool. and so I'll be be out there for ceremony. And you know, I'm, I'm just in a process of falling in love with life more and mm-hmm. more each day, falling more in love with the people in it, the places, and just in you know that, just allowing my heart to lead the way. You know what lights me up. Right and and trusting that that as I follow that as I follow beauty as I follow love as I follow joy that it's leading me to where I need to be and and that also in the field of all of that beauty that I'm creating in myself and through my own experience I'm, I'm creating a beautiful field to invite others into to attune with mm-hmm. and. Um, also confronting some of the stagnant parts of my life that were really the most intimate, that are often the most difficult to change and look at. Because <laughs> right? often they involve other people. Yeah. Right? And their stuckness. And, um, and so really deeply confronting that stuff is, is part of it. And, and, Cultivating the quality of fierce compassion, to um, which is compassion informed by discernment and wisdom, mm-hmm. and uh, noticing the places where I've been overhelping, you know, where I've been abandoning myself, where I've mm. not honored my needs and desires, mm-hmm. and um, that sort of thing. And you know, I've been doing healing work of some kind for like seven years. And only recently have I come to 
acknowledge and accept deeply my woundedness. Mm. You know, I've been a healer for a long time. I'm only really now just getting in really into the nitty gritty of my woundedness. Mm. And it's making me so much more of an effective healer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I'd love to hear more on that if you are open to it. Yeah. Um, because I think that's such a good point and such um, like a beautiful opening for others yeah. to connect with you Um because yeah, we I fully believe that we are the clearing for the people that we work with. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, this is getting really into the nitty gritty of of you know the things that I'm working on in my life, which I don't always talk about a whole lot. But um, you know, it's um, yeah, I, I had a um, a relationship. You know, I was engaged. Uh, when I uh, had my spiritual awakening, you know. Mm. And uh, we continued to be in relationship for about eight years. And evolutions happened there, and yeah. growth, growth happened, happened there. there. And, and ultimately, you know, there was some growing apart that happened. And 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 romantic relationship ended in 2019. And we, we continued to live together um, since then as friends and family. And have a have a beautiful relationship in that way. And um, and what I what what's coming up for me now in in recent um, recent months is sort of the need to go back out into dating, seeing other people, and expanding in that way. And and that was one of the um, unacknowledged needs and desires that I was confronting in earlier this year. And I was noticing the ways in which the lack of acknowledgement and honoring of that was really constricting my vital energy, really constricting my vital energy and not, not keeping me from connecting with people in the best way possible and, and really being open to life, right? Just open to connection and open to expression and um, one of the things I've, I've sometimes talked about in the newsletter is I've, I've, I've been working on my inner monk for a long time. You know, I, I've got this really old karmic pattern of the, of the monk, the renunciant, that, um, that kind of wants to push the world and keep it at arm's length. Right? Just wants to keep the world at arm's length. And, and so, you know, that... That's this tantrification process of tantrifying the monk of being an ecstatic, sensual relationship with reality. And, um, and, and so I'm, I worked for a long time, for 10 years, to get vertically free. As in, you know, raising consciousness up and out of the body and up into the infinite, you know, absorption in God, no somatic experience, just, ah, bliss, samadhi. 10 years of that. And now I'm working on horizontal freedom, freedom in my life, freedom in my expression, freedom in my relationships, freedom as a human being. And so that's my dissension process that I'm in at this time, is, is more, more freedom. What, what does it really mean to get free, you know? 
Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's such a huge thing to acknowledge because even when you first said it in the beginning of this conversation, I was thinking, yeah, it is so easy to want to follow that temptation to like reject the world, go be a monk, only be with God. (laughs) Like that almost feels easier, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just feels like you know, it'd be so much easier if we could get rid of all the other wants and needs, if we could get mm-hmm. rid of all the other things that yeah. have that come with this reality. Yeah. And it's so beautiful to be able to integrate all parts of you in this reality yeah. with God, with this higher level consciousness, with the work that you're doing. Yeah. And it is hard. <laughs> it is so scary hard. and it is confronting. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really, really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're so welcome. Really awesome. Oh, man. Well, this has been so beautiful. Um, I can't believe it's already almost an hour. <laughs> I know forever. We'd have so much to talk about. Um, and I do want to make sure we get our last question. So Zachary, I'd love to ask you, what does it mean to you to live a fully expressed life? Uh, I'm still figuring it out, you know? And, um, I had a friend on the road to Chavin during our pilgrimage. Uh, he did a Dallas reading for me and I got plenty of love. I got plenty of spirituality, and my life theme is to be a leader. And um, But I have vacancies, and among other things, expression and passion. And that's showed up a lot in my life as far as really just not having many preferences. Right? And, and, and then there's, in some spiritual traditions, you know, they say, you know, the great, the great way is easy. For he without preferences, right? And I have had the absolute blessing and grace to experience states of consciousness where in for a period of time I truly had no preferences and was in a state of bliss all the time without any judgments. And, and then eventually the preferences come back because it's a messy, busy world and it's not always pleasant. And so the preferences eventually come back, and then I get into this tug of war with it. Of like, I was so happy when I had no preferences. I want to get back to that place of no preferences again. So I start to ignore my preferences, and which causes me to ignore my authentic desires. It causes me to abandon myself. It causes me to not express the truth of who and what I am. And and so. A lot of what I'm doing right now is identifying my authentic preferences and honoring them, not finding my desires, really looking for the hottest coal in the, and you know the hottest ember, and saying what's there, and how can this be explored, and that 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 means exploring all of it, the sexual the, you know, desires of every kind, like finding them, finding the hottest ember and trusting that that hottest ember of desire is an exper- leading you towards an experience needed for your expansion. That, that desire 
is what is saying we what we're needing to be nourished. That's what we need to nourish ourselves, is what we're desiring. And sometimes that those desires, if they don't have a good discernment around them, can lead us down weird places that are ultimately destructive and painful and ah, all that. That's also useful because that's a learning opportunity. And now you have better discernment that you wouldn't have had had you not acted on that desire in a naive way. And so, yeah, what, what it's meaning for me to be fully expressed right now is to have fewer judgments around my desires and to allow them express themselves more spontaneously. Without any judgment, without any shame, just allowing it to be. Mm, so good, so good. <laughs> Total mic drop there, because I think that that is... One of the biggest things that prevents people from being fully expressed is that judgment, right? Self-judgment more than anything else too. So thank you for being an example of that in the world, of letting that go, of practicing, just practicing, 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 because it's not perfect ever, right? (laughs) It takes you in weird places, you know, you know, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's the work. It's the work. It's the work of being a truly free human. Totally. Totally. So cool. Thank you so much. How can people find you, connect with you, retreat with you, all of the things? Go over to smilingjaguar.com and sign up for the newsletter. That's where, that's my biggest uh, form of communication right now is is the newsletter is where I talk about our upcoming offerings and different things like that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Zachary. It was so beautiful to have you. Appreciate you being here. So good to (laughs) see you. Thank you so much for listening to the Fully Expressed podcast. If you liked what you heard, I'd be so honored if you'd hit that rate and review button and leave us some love. If you want some more content from me and some more connection, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at healing W for with Christina. I'm so grateful for you and I hope that you're inspired to start living your fully expressed life today.